0: The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to start with Isaiah 7:14, And then I'm, I'm going to read just one verse so you don't have to go there. And then we're going to read Matthew 1, 18 through 24. Zach, I'm going to ask the choir, it's almost 20 after right now. I'm going to ask the choir, are lots of you still in here? Okay, so I'm going to ask you guys to wait to the end of my message because we're going to do communion, I think, and then we're going to have you um, come back up at the, at the very end, um, so w- during communion or, or whatever works out, but um, I want to make sure that um, no one is robbed of, of kind of the end of the message or that kind of thing, so, um, and I want you to hear it. So so I hope that doesn't mess you up. Everybody shake your head if you're okay with that and uh, call an audible there. Speaking of audible, I know wrong sport, but how about those cats last night? Yeah, that's good, huh? I thought you all would have Christmas joy now for sure. All right, let me uh, pray uh, for the word and then we're going to stand for the reading of, of God's word. Father, we thank you for uh, the Bible, we thank you that it's more than just a book, it's more than just an inspirational book, it is your word, it is God-breathed. And so, Lord, today, uh, prepare our hearts to receive what you would say to us. Prepare our hearts to not just receive the truth, but to hear the truth and to do the truth. May this word move us to action. Give me what makes pre- preaching easy, that which makes preaching preaching easy today, namely the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we just again ask that you would remove every distraction. I know we have many things going on in our lives right now, and I just pray we'd be able to focus for the next 25 or 30 minutes on um, what you would say to us. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Stand with me if you would. So I'm going to start Isaiah seven fourteen. And then we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1. So here's Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus, this is verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph woke from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. You may be seated. Well, Emmanuel is a name uh, that we are all familiar with. We sing about it, we read about it, but we rarely give it much thought because perhaps it's so familiar. Yet it is so profound and I think it, it deserves a great deal of attention. Here's the claim that the Bible makes when it says that Jesus is Emmanuel. The claim is this that this baby born in a manger is not just a good person. He's not just a moral teacher. He's not just a prophet. Friends, he is the Son of God, and he is God the Son. We believe in what we call the Trinity Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's the um, three persons, one God. And we believe that Jesus is the second person of that Godhead. He is God the Son. And so I have three desires as I unpack this today, this text. Number one, I pray that we would be intellectually stretched. Secondly, I want us to be immensely encouraged. And three, I desire for us to be incredibly moved. All right? So intellectually stretched, immensely encouraged, and incredibly moved. So for starters, I want us to be intellectually stretched. And you're like... Dude, it's Sunday morning, I've used my brain all week, and I don't want to, you know, I I come to church, I want to feel something, but I don't really want to think. And that's actually a big issue in the church today, because how many know that we're called, yes, to love God with our heart, our affections, but it says also we're to love Him with our mind. We need to know the Word of God, and we need to think through spiritual truth. So, in our text today, we find a name and a title for this baby that is to be born, that would change the world. What is the name? We know this, right? The name is Jesus. And in the first century, names really meant something. It's not like the angels were going through like the, 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 the name book, you know, and going, oh man, we really like this one. It has a nice ring to it, right? Like people today, they're named some crazy names and they mean nothing. Like have you heard some just really weird names and, and it's, it's like, well, this is trendy, or, or or this just sounds good, or this name goes with this, you know, middle name, what, whatever. But listen, in the first century, your name really meant something. So in Matthew one twenty one, it says that she, Mary, will give birth to a son, and says you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus. Here is what it does. It specifies Christ's mission. This is why Jesus came, to save his people from their sins, to reconcile all who would receive him to the Father. So Jesus is a name, Emmanuel is a title, which specifies who the child is. He is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. The prophecy recorded in Isaiah 7.14 now finds its fulfillment in the birth of Jesus Christ. But here is why, like we hear this, we're like, yeah, we know the Christmas story, so what? Listen, I want us to do something. I want us to consider the historical context. And in the first century, this would have been an outrageous claim that any human being could be God with us. Particularly, this was hard to believe for the Jews. The Jews had known the prophecy found here in Isaiah. They grew up learning this. Many of them had memorized this, but they did not expect it to be taken literally. Certainly, did they expect the Messiah? Yes. And in this, they were awaiting this great leader through whom God would work. You remember in the Old Testament, David, this great king, and and the Lord worked through David. That's kind of what they were looking for in a Messiah, someone through whom God would work. And then figuratively speaking, God would be present through that person with His people. First century Jews, Tim Keller points this out, would have been the last people on earth to believe the claim that a human being could become God. It's a radical claim. Eastern religions would have had no trouble accepting this. They were pantheists believing that God is kind of this force in everything. They believe that some people are avatars and uh, these kind of manifestations of the God force. you have like, I've seen the movie. They have no trouble believing that a human could be God. Greeks and Romans were polytheists, so they believed in multiple gods, and they had no trouble believing in a demigod or someone who could kind of take on this human form and come to earth. But first century Jews... First century Jews were strongly opposed to the idea that a human being could be God. And yet Jesus Christ, through his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, convinced his closest Jewish followers, one of them being Matthew himself, who writes this gospel, that he was not just a prophet, but God himself come to be with his people. So, Matthew is saying here that this miracle of the Messiah is greater than anyone in Jewish history had expected. This isn't God with us figuratively, it is God with us literally. This claim that Jesus is fully God, the second person in the Trinity, it's an outrageous claim. But listen to me, it is foundational to our faith. If Jesus is not God, if if he is not deity, then the gospel means little to us. It's not encouraging. It, It doesn't give us hope if Jesus is not God. So this begs the question, well, is the claim true? Is the claim true? Is Jesus really God with us? So growing up, one of my favorite television shows was Sesame Street. I think it's changed a lot now. Somebody said, mm hmm. <laughs> but it was my favorite show going up, growing up when it was not so political. So you can imagine my excitement when, at six or seven years of age, I received the news that the beloved Big Bird is going to be at the Roses department store. How many remember Roses? And you could get your picture taken, you could meet Big Bird. And I was excited. I was actually 16, I just didn't want to know. (laughs) So after much anticipation, the day finally comes when I would get to see one of my favorite characters face to face. And so I walk in the store with really high hopes, only to have them quickly shot down. Because I see in the front of the store someone in a very dirty, (laughs) yellowish bird costume. And I know right away, I mean, I'm six or seven, but I'm on to them. This is not Big Bird, people. So after standing in line, I approach this wannabe canary only to be greeted by a, a very enthusiastic lady, actually an unenthusiastic lady, whose entire face I can see through this giant eye hole. I can see her entire face. Thinking she is more convincing than she actually is, she bends down to me, and I'll never forget this. And she says to me in her southern drawl, you want your picture took with Big Bird? Lady not on your life. (laughs) Right? Friends, she was an imposter. No doubt. So, is Jesus who the Bible claims that he is? Is he really God with us or is he Dressed up in a costume, so to speak. Is he an imposter? Well, I'll give you the answer and then I'll explain why he is, I believe strongly, God with us. The teaching that Jesus is God is not just found in Matthew 1. It's actually found throughout the Bible. So let me just argue for a moment why I believe he really is God with us. Number one, those close to Jesus testified to his deity. John 1 says this, the beginning of the Word in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And then you go down to verse 14, and the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. So look at the beginning. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in 14, John tells us who the Word is. It's Christ. And then John writes, we've seen His glory, glory of the, on, the, the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's John. Then we have Peter, 1 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's just, these are two of Jesus' closest followers. Now, you might be able to convince some naive stranger that you're God. You might do a magic trick or perform some miracle, and they think, man, this, and then you say, I'm God, and they follow you. There have been people who have done things like that. But how many know you could not convince those closest to you that you're God because they know you? You could never convince your kids you're God. You could never convince your spouse. Come on, spouse, let's say amen that you're God. But Jesus convinces his closest Jewish followers who, who, again, would have been skeptics that any human being, these were Jewish men, so they would have been skeptical to the idea that he would be deity. Furthermore, Jesus claimed his own deity. You know, the, the claims would not hold much weight that Jesus is God if he himself did not say such things. But He does make this claim about Himself. John 14, 7, Jesus said, If you had known Me, you would have known My Father. From now on, you do know Him, and you have seen Him. Jesus claimed, remember, we just dealt with this a couple of weeks ago, He claimed to be able to forgive sins. Who is that reserved for? Who can forgive sins alone? God Himself. Well, Jesus made the claims His followers made the claims about him. But again, that would hold not a lot of weight if Jesus' life did not back up those claims. But Jesus' life did back up the claims. Number one, he never sinned. How many in here can say that? How many can, they say, how many can say they didn't sin this morning? We call getting ready for church the unholy hour, right? That's why we got to preach you happy when you come in. Number one, Jesus never sinned. Hebrews four fifteen. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but the one who has been tempted in all things, yet without sin. So number one, he never sinned. Number two, he rose from the dead. Like people don't do that, <laughs> especially after three days. 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen. And Christ has if Christ has not been raised, it's Paul writing. Your faith is futile, and your sins, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul says, listen, if Jesus isn't raised, this faith is a sham. But in fact, he says, and Paul was a great skeptic, so much of one, that in the beginning he persecuted the church. He had Christians put to death. But he had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. And in verse 20 here, he says, In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. It's a well-documented historical event. How do we know Jesus' life matched the claims of his deity? He never sinned. He rose from the dead. Thirdly, his disciples were willing to die for him. It's one thing for them to say, Listen, You know, yeah, we believe that this Messiah, our leader, is God. Like, that's fine. But are you going to be, if if that weren't weren't true, really true, I mean, they might lie about it for a while. But when push comes to shove, when their lives are on the line and they are going to be brutally martyred, what do you think would happen if the claim were not true? They say, listen, man, all a joke, right? All of you, listen, we were just trying to get a following and come on, give us some grace. That is not what happened. Why? There's only one plausible answer. They really believe that Christ is raised and that he is God. This is why we celebrate Christmas. It's because God himself, God the Son, became a human being, he took on flesh. Why? to seek and save those who were lost. So I hope through that you were intellectually stretched. That's my longest point. Second point, I want us to be immensely encouraged by this truth because Christmas means for you and me that we have amazing hope. That's what it means. Christianity, hear me, it's the only religion, the only religion that Teaches that you can do nothing in and of yourself to earn your salvation. Every other religion has a a leader or a founder. They say, okay, you do X, Y, and Z, A, B, C, 1, 2, and 3, and then perhaps you can achieve enlightenment or you can get to heaven or whatever. But it's on you, which makes it very exclusive. That means, you know, the 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 lowest of people, the, the worst of people, like it's like, man, you have no hope for this. The Bible teaches something else. It actually says that we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And none of us can earn our way to a holy God. We're all sinners. What it teaches is, this is what Christmas teaches us. Christ came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So I don't, my message to you this morning is not pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Because for some of you... You might think, oh, I can do that. But others of you, you're like, man, there is no way, no way. This is very humbling because here's what it says. Those of you who think you're most spiritual apart from Christ, you're at the same level as the one who you look down on and say, oh man, that person could never get to God. Here's what it does. It levels, the gospel levels the playing field. We'd like to say that the, 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 the ground at the foot of the cross is level ground. The gospel, the message of Christmas gives us amazing hope. Other religions say that human morality is good enough. You make the right choices if you live a good enough life. That, that's exhausting. It's like, how do you know? I mean, so many people in our world, are, are they're waiting, saying one day, listen, I hope my charity has out, out, outweighs my, my sin, and then maybe if there's a God, He'll let me into His kingdom. Boy, that's precarious. I don't want to depend on that. (laughs) I know me. I know my childhood. I know my teenage years. Come on, somebody. Like, I got a lot of good stuff to do if that's the case to make up for all the bad. Matthew 5, 3, Jesus says, he starts his sermon on the mount like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, not the pompous, not the pious. Blessed are those who know of their own spiritual bankruptcy, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Here's the hope of Christmas. God didn't send a committee to earth. He didn't just send an angel to earth. He didn't just send a prophet to earth. But God himself came to us to, again, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. It's wonderful news, folks. We don't have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps because God came to us the hope found in Christmas, and it should be the essence, by the way, of Christmas joy, not what we get under the tree. I'm all for gift giving. I think anything that adds joy to Christmas in as much as it's not sin is wonderful. But listen, the essence of Christmas joy is what Christ has done. So as we consider the truth that Jesus is God and, and the hope therein, we should be Um, yes, immensely encouraged, but finally, we should be incredibly moved, incredibly moved. Not just emotionally, but I I, want to challenge you today that you and I, we should be moved to action because of what Jesus did and the claims of who he is everywhere he went during his earthly ministry. I mean, we have this on record. He evoked extreme reactions, some good, some bad. Some people dropped everything to follow him walked away from their business, walked away from their families. Why? Because they believed in Jesus Christ and that he was who he said he was. I mean, you think again of Simon Peter. I want you to just consider Simon Peter and how he responded to Jesus after the Lord performed a great miracle causing Peter to catch all these, this multitude of fish. I know some of you fishermen would be like, man, if Jesus does that for me, I'm in, right? Luke 5, 8, but when Simon Peter saw this miracle, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. It's a... Mind-blowing response, is it not? These men were so amazed with their encounter with Jesus. At first they were like, man, this is scary. But then they made this radical decision to drop everything, everything and follow him. Think of Mary Magdalene, who was an outcast. She was demon-possessed, and Jesus delivered her from evil spirits. And she just said, man, I want to be where he is there were those who dropped everything to follow Jesus secondly many people fell down and worshiped him think of the magi in mark 2:11 and his version of the christmas story it says in going into the house they saw the child with mary his mother and they fell down and worshiped him and then opening their treasures they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh they fell down and worshiped him then you go to luke chapter 7 Remember the the, the woman uh, who was the town's sinful woman, likely she was a prostitute. And she went in and, and Jesus welcomed her into this religious elitist home that all these religious people were judging her. But Jesus did not judge her. She fell down at his feet and she began to worship him. The disciples worshipped him. Matthew 14, after Jesus walked on the water, it says, Those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Many people fell down and worshipped him, but also we can't forget that many people despised him. Isaiah 53, 3 prophesied this many years before Jesus came. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Many of the Pharisees, the the religious people of the day, wanted to get rid of him. They wanted him dead. And crowds of people, you know, some of the crowds early in Holy Week were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. But there was another crowd, maybe even some, some of the same people who on Monday were shouting, or Sunday were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And now we're shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Many wanted him dead. Here's my point. Jesus, because of who he claims he is, he always evokes extreme reactions. Either people fear him or they worship him, they follow him, or perhaps they despise him. Why these extremes? Well, again, it's because of who he claims to be, God with us. Friends, this demands a radical response you can love Him or you can despise Him. Here's what you can't do. You cannot be indifferent towards Him. You know, it's interesting in our country right now. Do you know that, that multitudes of people, atheists, agnostics, uh, New Age people, all of this, they're tolerant of every other religion except one, Christianity. And it's because of the claim that Jesus is the Christ that he has absolute truth. And we live in a, a society well, where we are plagued with relativism, where it's my truth, not the truth. And so to say that there is one truth, one way to God, one way of salvation, it's offensive to people, to some people. So you can despise him. What you cannot be, if, <laughs> with these claims that the Bible's making that we're uh, unpacking this morning, listen, what you cannot be is indifferent. You cannot be indifferent towards Jesus. If he is who he says he is, then we should have no other response than to center our lives around him. Listen, there are some who claim Jesus was a good moral teacher or even that he was a prophet. They said, yeah, listen, I like, his, I like his teachings, but I just don't believe that he's the son of God. Do you know that's an impossible position to truly hold to? I mean, you don't have to be real intellectual to see why that doesn't work. The position is impossible. C.S. Lewis presented this trifecta when it comes to Jesus. He says there's three options when it comes to Jesus. Here they are. Either he is a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's actually Lord because Jesus claimed to be God. So if he claimed to be God, God the Son, and he actually knew that he wasn't God, he was a liar, which means, friends, he's not a good moral teacher He's not an ethical man. I mean, people gave their lives for this claim. And if he's lying, he's the worst of the worst. Or perhaps he really thinks he is. What was the guy in Waco, Texas? D- David Koresh, is that right? Maybe he's just a lunatic, right? And I don't know if David thought he was really the Messiah that was so many years ago. But, but listen, maybe Jesus really thought he was but wasn't. Maybe he was delusional. Okay, so is this a man we really want to follow? Do we want to follow the crazy guy's teaching? So he could be a liar, he could be a lunatic, or friends, the more plausible answer, he is Lord. He actually is who he says he is. And we know, we believe in this church that he is in fact, that he is Lord. And if we really believe it, if we really hold to the true meaning of Christmas, friends, we should be moved to extreme action Either we run from Him if we don't believe it because we don't want Him ruling our lives like the man in the Bible who loved riches more than Jesus or what I would encourage of you, you run to Him. Listen, true faith is not just saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus. It's not even just saying, even though the Bible tells us to go to gather together like we are this morning. It's beyond just going to church. It, to be a Christian is literally to s- this is what saving faith looks like. It's to center your life around him, where, Lord, everything I have is yours. That's why we call him Lord. It's like we call him Lord, and then we want to still rule our lives. True? Jesus said, that, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things in which I say? It makes no sense. So you, you, you run from him or you run to him, one or the other, but this aloofness or this half-heartedness that so many Americans approach him with and so many people around the world approach him with, <laughs> there's no place for that. So I hope today you're extremely moved by the real meaning of Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. If you don't know the Lord today, if you're not serving the Lord today, what, what better Sunday is there to come to the Lord in faith and We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you through that decision. In closing, uh, John Wesley, the, the great founder of the Methodist Church, uttered these last words on his deathbed. When somebody, uh, if they're uttering final words like you, they're important, they're weighty, and you want to listen. And here's what he says. The best of all is God with us. He repeated it again. The best of all. Is God with us. You know, I love, friends, several things about Christmas. I love the nostalgia. I love the time with family. Oddly, I even love cold weather. I love the meals and the endless cookies. I love exchanging gifts with those whom I love. I love the decor. I love this Christmas tree. I love the singing, what we experience today. But the best of Christmas and the best of all is God with us. Let's pray. Lord, we we thank you for your word and that you are in fact who you say you are and that Jesus is in fact who you say he is and who he claimed to be. Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know you, that's not serving the Lord Jesus Christ, may they run to him. If there's one here that's not, you know, they'd say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but they're, they're not living this out. Jesus is not Lord of their life, if they've not put saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray today would be a life-changing day for that person. Father, I pray for those of us who do believe in the Lord Jesus, who are living uh, in, in a way that's pleasing to you and under his lordship. I pray that you would help us continue and fight the fight of faith so that we can be like the Apostle Paul the end of our lives and say, I fought the good fight, I finished my course, and I've kept the faith. The promises in Revelation are for those who endure to the end. And we thank you, even in that, that we're not alone. The Bible says that you are the one who's able to keep us from falling. So we trust you with our lives. We trust you with our salvation. And we thank you when we turn our lives to you as Lord and Savior, that we can trust you that you want better for us than we want for ourselves and though that doesn't mean that our lives will be shielded from any level of pain we're in a hateful and hurtful and sickly world but God through the pain through the circumstances you love us and you're with us and you don't leave us and you pull us through and the great hope of our salvation is not even heaven it's the new earth when our bodies will be raised in a glorified state Never again shall we be hit with sickness. Never again shall we experience loss, pain. There shall never again be a tear that will be shed. And we shall forever be with you, the greatest promise of all. We thank you for these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.